Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Pigeons! There are pigeons, pigeons outside that bed. Mike Pigeon yelled pigeons. It's <laughs> <laughs> like full oh. yelling. What's good? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a 31-year-old man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I timed it perfectly to where I only had to wait like a couple of months or so after reading all of the books, and then I got to watch the TV show. I did it right. Apologies to everyone else who had to wait. I've done so much waiting for this show, but at long last, we are here to discuss the Percy Jackson television adaptation. At long last, there is an adaptation that exists, and it's good, and Rick doesn't have to write sassy emails about it. But I'm not on this journey alone. I'm never on this journey alone as I make my way through the Percy Jackson series to see if this is a series that has been slept on by society. Hopefully this TV show makes it not slept on by society. Our guest that we are here with today is someone who is a wonderful podcaster that you may have heard on this podcast and other podcasts. It is Sequoia Simone. Sequoia, how's it going? Hello! I'm so excited. It's going so well because we'll get into it, but like, ugh, so jazzed about this TV show. But also, I was so jazzed when you reached out to me and you were like, will you do the first episode of the TV show? And I was like, I don't think I've ever been bestowed an honor <laughs> higher than this honor. And so I'm stoked. I'm stoked to be here. I'm very excited to have you. I knew that we wanted to hit this episode of the podcast just really strong, hit the ground running, and... Mm. It's always a delight to have you on the show. Your episode 100 performance is in the pantheon of episodes of The Newest Olympian. Uh, listen, I feel like I've I've set myself up. <laughs> I've set myself up for something here. I've set a bar for myself that is a little well, wild. Look, it's okay. The people love you, and for good reason. This is going to be a very fun time. We did just watch the episode. and Yes. Overall thoughts, it was good. It was good. <laughs> it was really good. It was good. The thing about it is, is I went in with high hopes. It's not sure. like when we sat down and we watched the movie, that first yeah, movie. Yeah, that was a different experience. Exactly. I went in with low hopes because mm -hmm. everybody said, hey, this is bad. So right. I went in knowing, hey, this is bad. Mm -hmm. And it still exceeded badness expectations. Right. With this, mm -hmm. there's a certain amount, like, when you love something and it is adapted, you come into it 
with trepidation, right? Oh, we sit course. and we say, you know what? We have to keep our expectations realistic, right? Mm-hmm. But I had just heard so many good things. The cast looks so great. And like you were talking about all the fun things that you'd learn, like being, you know, doing press a events. Of the press doing the Comic-Con. If, if you can hear my top hat that has press written on a piece of paper sticking it's out wild. of it. It's wild. It just appeared. <laughs> but yes, the yeah. Anticipation. So, you know, I let myself really believe, believe in my heart and soul that this was going to be good. And Mm -hmm. it was good. It was really good. It was really, really good. I'm very excited for the rest of the show, just based on this one episode. And I also had very high expectations as well, because as we just alluded to, I was very fortunate where I, big podcast boy, got to be (laughs) a member of the press at New York Comic Con, which is ridiculous. But incredible because of that, I was able to see clips of this episode earlier. So I got to see like the first seven minutes of it and then some of the other clips from things in this episode and in future episodes. So I knew after that, like, this show's going to rip. Like, it's going to be really good. Yeah. And I had already high hopes before seeing it. Then you see it. And it was just like a relief when I saw those clips. Like, oh, they didn't mess it up. Like, it's, it's good. It is good. And then watching this episode, I already had my expectations exceeded so like you were saying you had high expectations and they exceeded those expectations opposite of the movie being low and then lower (laughs) but i think i had even higher ones just because i had seen actual clips from it and i was like this is gonna be good and then watching the actual episode it blew those out of the water like it's just it's a really well-made show and i have such high hopes for the entire series based off of it i just feel such a sense of relief for (laughs) the fandom like i i'm still invested as someone that's been reading these books for the past two plus years but i can only imagine for people who are way more invested in the success of this thing i just feel happy for myself from an enjoyment perspective but just knowing how many people are happy now it's just really good it has not even this is a wild thing that i just remembered it has not even been a full calendar year since i finished reading these books Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we've all had stuff adapted that Mm -hmm. we love that was so bad and so i think everyone can relate to the feeling of like anticipation and then disappointment Mm -hmm. and so like you i just am so glad that everybody who has been waiting for this for years Mm -hmm. i have been literally waiting for this for like eight months yeah Yes, yes. And yeah. and we're going to get the perspective of people who are lifelong fans. I'm going to really try and diversify the guest repertoire for yeah. these eight episodes of The Newest Olympian. So we're going to get people who are lifelong. But it was just like, I know the vibes of a Sequoia episode would be very good. <laughs> so let's hit that with episode one. And then we'll have some other stuff as well. Yeah. But for these episodes, it's not going to be like your traditional episode of The Newest Olympian where I kind of go through the plot and then the guest chimes in and we talk about things and often go into tangents and stuff like that. For this instead, because we've already discussed the lightning thief in plot format on the show, it would be weird to be like, so Percy goes to Yancey Academy. Like, we're operating under the world that if you're listening to this episode, you probably have seen the TV show or you are okay with us completely spoiling the TV show. If you are out there and you don't want spoilers, pause this. The podcast isn't going anywhere. I'm not going to delete it. It's okay. You should probably watch it. Or there are some people, maybe they're like, I don't really want to watch a show. I just want to hear about it. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go through mostly in chronological order our thoughts about the episode 
in the order in which they happened in the episode, but there's not necessarily a strict format. What I really want to just capture with these episodes is we just watched the thing. Let's get on the mic and talk about it. And that's exactly what happened here. And that's what we're trying to capture. So I think we can just start at the beginning of the episode. Let's do it. And what you have in the introduction where you have the cool little voiceover mm-hmm. thing of like, oh, you know, we've got Walker in the rain as Percy, but then we get a little bit of a flashback. It's, is it technically in media res when we do that, where it's like partway through the episode is the first thing and then we go back a couple of steps? Uh, I don't know technically it's like if it almost... is. It's not clear what the first thing we're seeing is, like right. where that footage would be mm-hmm. in sort of the chronological order of sure. events. Mm-hmm. But it, you, you just get the sense of like, they're not going to start with this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then they do go back and we get a little bit of narration and not too much narration. And this is something that I had asked the showrunners about when I got to interview them as a member of the bros. Uh, I got to ask them <laughs> the like. The hat, it's back. The, it's just, oh, it whoa! pops up every time. It's so wild. <laughs> I got to ask them. It is a book that you are adapting, and it is a book told in first-person narration. How do you toe the line between showing things on the screen and then having some narration, not overusing it? And they said, you know, we want to use it when it makes sense. We don't want to overuse it so that it doesn't feel like you're not just watching a TV show. And also sometimes it's not necessary. Yeah. I think their choice to use it in the way they did in this introduction is great, especially because the introduction to Percy Jackson and the Olympians, colon, The Lightning Thief, is just so good. Like, page one is so fantastic. It's what got me super hooked into the series. Yeah. So for that element to find its way into the beginning of the episode, I think makes so much sense. And it didn't feel like they overdid it. It was like just the right amount of book narration-y stuff. But then let's naturally get into the point where it's no longer necessary to have Percy telling you what's going on. Right. Having the two things, being able to have this like spoken word thing happening and then being able to see a visual at the same time actually allows you to sort of cut that time in half because Mm -hmm. they were able to be like, here's what Percy Percy Jackson is narrating and saying, and you're seeing something that I reread these chapters right before we watched Dedication. the TV show. Amazing, amazing. Um, but you're seeing things that he describes later, right? It's a great way to adapt because you have to cut time. You got to mm-hmm. cut stuff. Right. It just happens. And you also have to make episode one compelling for people who have no idea what's going on. Exactly. We, as fans of it, have patience for them taking a long time if they were like hey guys season one is actually 87 episodes we'd be like (laughs) like, fantastic thank you (laughs) but you have to bring in people who have no idea what's going on and you're right like it's such a good condensing and it's wild because even the lightning thief movie like the beginning it's not awful like the condensing they do in the movie isn't terrible yeah but now watching this it's like oh that's how you do it incredibly more effectively (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think it was really well done. And then something else that was really well done, the casting of young Percy Jackson. It is a different actor. I have looked it up. It is not just right. Walker Scoble with CGI or what I Googled. Does Walker Scoble have a younger brother? Right. It is just a different kid. And they did a great job casting someone who looks like a couple years younger Walker Scoble. Like it's that's wild. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent work. Other thing that was excellent. You get a little bit of something that is like. Maybe a future thing or maybe just something to make us all Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV meme. (laughs) But young Percy Jackson sees a Pegasus on the roof as the first instance of 
an example of Percy seeing ancient Greek stuff in the wild. Right. And it's blackjack or it's at least a black <laughs> pegasus. Exactly. And so. we can I think we can assume mm-hmm. us. Yes. The people who are in the know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can say, yeah, that's definitely blackjack. Right. And this favorite. is the perfect version of Easter egg of. Fan knows what this is. Yeah. Non-fan doesn't. Because sometimes I feel like in superhero movies, it's like way too deliberate where it feels like, am I supposed to know what's going on? Exactly. Like someone is like basically turning and winking at the camera and being like, did you get it? Right. Did you get it? The example (laughs) that I think of is in one of the, I guess it's the second, the Amazing Spider-Man, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man ones. Gotcha. Where like his assistant is Felicia and then you're supposed to be like, black cat. And you're like, just because it's a girl named Felicia. like I don't think there's anything else cat-like about her. But it doesn't feel distracting. It's just something where if you have no idea what's going on, you're like, oh, he sees a Pegasus. That makes sense. Yeah. Olympians. I got it. Yeah. But if you're us, you go, it's my favorite (laughs) Italian-American Pegasus blackjack. And you say that full sentence out loud watching with random people who don't know and they say, excuse me. And I go, you'll get it. You know what? There's a podcast that I made. We'll get there. Now, the next example they show is a rhino actually being, or quote unquote actually, because it's the mist, being a garbage truck. And I thought yes. that was cool because it did look like it. Like it did it a like good job. It was like covering in like covered in like armored plating. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then they were like, yes, but that means that it looks like this. And I uh-huh. uh, perfect. It's a good way to show the mist, which does yes. get, I think, very efficiently explained in this episode. They do it in such a good way, and this will come later in the scene in the car, but the way that Grover says that line of it's what hides the magical world from the human world is like, oh, that is the perfect like one sentence elevator pitch where (laughs) in the book, I feel like it's much more verbose because like, oh, the mist, blah, blah, blah. Like it's many sentences. And then they did find a way to be like, how do we say this so quickly? (laughs) And I think that this visual aid was really well done. And that gives me high hopes too. This is something that in that answer when I asked them about narration, it's like we also can utilize the tool of a TV show to more effectively show things without having to be told it. And this is the perfect example where if you are watching it, you can go, oh, okay, yeah, like either you think he is seeing the rhino thing and that's fake and then the garbage truck is real and then later on you go, oh, that rhino from before was real. Like it's a really effective tool that is cool for fans and also for people who don't know what's going on. Exactly. So then the next note that I have is for something that is definitely point at screen for fans (laughs) is when Percy and Grover are talking at the lunch table right after Grover gets hit with a backpack, which like this is something I talked about when it was in the teaser. And I tweeted like, I feel bad being happy about the bullying being good. (laughs) Like, it's such a weird thing to be like, yes, they got the bullying right. But like... (laughs) I think it's important to the story. It does feel weird to be like, yes, 15 slash 16 year old Aryan playing the role of Grover got hit with a backpack. Yay. But it is believable bullying because at least yeah. from my experience of someone who did get bullied in K through A and high school, like that's the kind of thing. You usually don't get like super 
like wedgies, swirlies, like all that stuff yeah. that actually finds its way into American media is like Teen not movies. actually. Yeah, it's not yeah. actually what happens. Like that stuff happens. Like right. intentionally hit kid with backpack and then pretend you didn't like, do it. Oops. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so yeah, it has to be believable because you have to isolate these two with mm-hmm. each other. Like, mm-hmm. it's so important to the story for those two to be isolated together. Right. And they did it in, like, I don't know, two seconds. It's so effective to yeah. get across the vibe of how they fit into the school because you can totally understand it. So yeah. they nail that. But then as they're having this conversation, you see Grover hand Percy a mythomagic card <laughs> of Incredible. the Minotaur and Tidy Whities, which is great. And it pairs up well with what they say in the narration by Percy. You know, he says something about, like, you know, things being strange and then they show the tidy whities which is like a weird poll always but i love that it's still in the show like it's great it's so 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 good yeah and another thing that's just so nice about this scene grover's eyes are so kind when he tells percy or i get he doesn't even say anything he non-verbally tells percy not to make a big deal out of grover getting hit intentionally with a backpack yeah just the kindest eyes this oh, this kid yeah. rules. Like, he's stealing the show. I know people are excited for Percy and Annabeth, but, like, he's Grover? So good. He's so good. He's so good. So good. Yeah. And I think that, that that part also, like, they also have to get across the idea that, like, yeah, you're looking at a 12-year-old kid, you know? And I think that sometimes it's hard to marry that with the idea that Percy Jackson is just, like, ready to throw down. He he's, really like, ready to is. fight. He is already. <laughs> Soon yeah. in the med scene, he's like, what if we stuff Nancy in a dumpster? Yeah, um, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so you know, Grover being like, hey, chillax. Uh, it's going to be cool, maybe bro. You yeah. know, like, is, is very perfect. It's good. And it does show their friendship because if you are close friends with someone, then you have those, like, nonverbal communications. Yeah, they get hit with a backpack and I'm ready to throw down. <laughs> <laughs> What's also great is I didn't even realize this until you just mentioned it or we were talking about it here. We never get anything where Percy says, like, you've been my friend for however many years, Grover. It just, like, they just no. perfectly gave us the vibe without saying anything that they're best friends. <laughs> So they good. did it so good. They did that so well. <laughs> wow. Something they didn't do well, though. I don't have many negative notes, and they are all the nitpickiest tiny little <laughs> things. Disclaimer. Disclaimer. <laughs> Everything that I have is stupid and just jokes for my comedy podcast that you are listening to. But they go to the Met, which is in New York City. Yes. And I believe this exterior shot is actually the Met, or it's a very convincing CGI, yeah. the Met. Yeah. But here's something that is not convincing. There is a concession stand at the base of the stairs of the Met. Yes. And on the signage outside this concession stand, they are advertising $1 water. In what world? <laughs> Is there $1 water at a concession stand at all in New York? And one of those, like, I don't know, whatever the the moving carts are, like, where you can get either hot dog or shawarma or whatever. They're never going to sell you water for a dollar in New York City. The one that is at the base of the stairs of the The Met? Met? No. $4 minimum. $4 (laughs) minimum. Yeah. You can get $1 water in New York. You just have to go through Central Park when people are selling $1 waters out of of the little igloo coolers. Yes. Yes. Which are great. Thank you so much. Every time I forget to bring water to a softball game, I thank those people so much. They are essential workers. Life-saving. Yes. And sometimes they have Gatorade for $2, which is also fantastic when you're playing a softball game in the heat. 
$1 water at the base of the Met? No way. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. Now, I also pointed this out because it did find its way either into the teaser or the trailer. And I did a big tweet thread with everything. And someone was like, oh, maybe they're like dating it. You know, the books came out in the mid 2000s. And that's like when the story takes place. So maybe yeah. it's $1 then. That could be the case. And I, I would could. give it to you. Except when we meet Smelly Gabe later, he is a Zach Wilson Jets jersey framed in <gasps> his apartment. Zach Wilson's only been on the team for two years or three years. I oh hate football. God. So I don't know exactly when. But it's only. <gasps> been in the past two years so that current modern day timeline. setting yeah yeah yeah. so this one dollar wow. water makes no sense at all i'm so glad that you know anything about <laughs> sports <laughs> <laughs> and i know very very little about football now we'll get into something later that is about my favorite sport i just love the way they dribble up and down the court <laughs> but we'll get into that in a little bit but yeah the one dollar water ridiculous right absolutely ridiculous not going to happen. Come on, yeah. guys. And I will say all of my nitpicky things, at least in this episode, there are two of them and they are both. Mm, that's not New York. <laughs> so don't yeah. worry. Yeah. <laughs> if that's the old, those are literally the only two negative things I have to say. This is a perfect television program. So then. Oh, sorry. I have a third one. That's also that's not really New York. They go to the Met. Those aren't the statues that are actually in the Met. <laughs> but they make more sense for the story for the to story. show the Medusa one. Sure. Yeah, it makes more sure. sense. I will say it is a convincing I know for a fact that they didn't actually film it inside the Met because that costs lots of money they did it with the thing called the volume are you familiar with the volume no so I didn't know about the volume until I was at the press table and people were asking about the volume after they talked about the volume it's basically a big screen that is used it's like LucasArts slash Disney like proprietary stuff Right. And then they've used it in shows like The Mandalorian. And then I think now some movies are like licensing out that equipment. But they did a lot of stuff for Percy Jackson with it. And the VFX guys who are super cool talked about this on panels and in some of the interviews I did. But basically, it's a way where you can do like green screen, blue screen type stuff. But you don't have to do it on a blank blue screen. So that helps with a lot of different things. One, you can do the lighting because it's just a huge TV, basically. So you can do some of the lighting stuff there. And then also for the actors, especially when you have kid actors in a TV show, they can see what is supposed to be there. So it's not just like, look at this tennis ball and pretend, (laughs) you know, that you're seeing a big scary monster or whatever. Or look up here and pretend you're looking at a statue. So they do those things and then they kind of like superimpose the CGI onto the established thing. They can move things around. They can do perspective. It's awesome. There's so many different things they can do with it. It also just lends the things to looking more realistic. Right. And it did convincingly look like what the Met looks like for the most part on the inside. Yeah. Movie magic, folks. Mm-hmm. It's wild it's out so there. It's so cool. It's That's the fun <laughs> thing about me being in the press. It's like, I don't know any of this stuff. And then I go into <laughs> things and they're talking about it. I was like, I'm learning so much. <laughs> so I will do my best to share things that I've learned across this process on the episodes. And then I'm also going to be posting like bonus episode-y things along the yeah. way in between, like all sorts of stuff. The interviews, like I'm going to be posting lots of stuff to the feed. So check all around because I might just be like, hey, here's the thing. Blah, and it's going to be separate from the episode. So the that's going to be the opening bit, too, is you going, hey, hey here's the thing. thing. And then there you go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Get ready for the new merch about that. <laughs> so here's something that's super minor that I thought was really cool. They show it one time Percy with a like worksheet on a clipboard, yes. trying to take notes and stuff. 
he wrote his name Percy Jackson and it didn't fit in the name box. So I have so much sympathy for that. Oh, the number of times wow. I messed up a sign where I started to write something, I'm like, I don't have enough letters, man. No, no, I don't have enough room. I love it's such a good minor, like, yes, this kid is in middle school detail. Exactly. Uh, relatable content. Relatable so good. content. So good. Mm. Then we have a flashback of sorts when Percy sees the Medusa statue. We get a flashback of Sally being at the Met with Percy years in the past. And then she's trying yeah. to talk to him about what it means to be a hero. He thinks that it's because heroes defeat monsters. And then she does a she does a great, like a good version of the like, or she. <laughs> 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 when Percy goes, oh, he defeats a monster. You go, what makes you think she was a monster? Which, given the story of Medusa, yes, it does track. It so does I don't track. actually think that yeah. this is a gross thing, but it was like, all right, I, I see you, Sally. I see you. <laughs> She's like, don't make assumptions. However, on this particular occasion, mm -hmm. you are right. He was still a hero, but it wasn't just because of vanquishing monsters. There's more to that, Perseus. But we get the flashback, and then we get another good bully moment where Percy, he breaks his pencil and then goes mom and then nancy right. <laughs> makes fun of him which again the bullying's really good nancy yeah. boba fett is a really good bully in this oh and yeah and I, I forget it's, it's right in her eyes yeah. you can see it mm -hmm. in her eyes mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't remember exactly what she said she said something of like mommy's not here percy which she like she was like no she was like oh i'm here oh mommy's yeah yeah, yeah. Here, yeah. Which, You're like yeah, oh, that's great. good bully like Fabulous. it's very believable bullying exactly oh, so, good. so good i liked that his when his pencil broke and it brought him out of it that like that placed it so that you knew that he was like actually thinking about that instead mm -hmm. of like oh it's just a flashback and we're being told we're being given extra information right they're doing a very good job in the show of making us still feel like we are in percy's brain which yes. is such a fun part of the book narrator percy is like my favorite character because <laughs> yeah. it's just percy with more <laughs> sass so getting those elements making it feel like you're still in his head even though it's not a book constantly narrated by him yeah. Fantastic. And then the other thing that's nice about the pencil breaking is that it gives us a natural lean in for Chiron giving Percy See, the pen. The pen. It's so well put together. And you've got the flashback gives the person who may not have read the books more reasons to love. You have to love mom. And you have to love mm -hmm. mom by the end of the episode or yeah. it's not going to hit. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, I love Sally after like two pages. Like on the podcast, yeah. I said something like I've known her for four paragraphs <laughs> and I would die for Sally Jackson. And then she died, quote unquote. And I was like, ah! Yeah. So it is very effective. Rick is, as an author, very effective at making you either love a character instantly or hate a character instantly. And the TV yes. show does a good job. Like there is a lot of, it's not propaganda, but like... <laughs> There's a lot of like, you gotta love Sally, guys. Yeah, <laughs> She's yeah. so guys, good. Guys, are mm -hmm. you paying attention? Mm -hmm. Sally rules. Great mom. Sad, though. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> you know they do a good job because the thing in the book that makes you love her is Percy, as the narrator, explains like, oh, my mom steals me candy from her job. And she does blue food because Smelly Gabe said that blue food doesn't exist. And there's all these cute things. But you can't have dialogue where Percy goes, oh, well, you know, she gives him the candy. Yeah. He can't be like, oh, the blue food you steal from your job that is an inside <laughs> joke with us. Like, so they have to do other things to make you love Sally, but it's still incredibly effective. Yeah. It's really, really good. So we have the pen being given and it is a canonically dinky little pen, which yeah. I, that's my favorite like, thing about Riptide is that, that it's a, is a silly pen. pen. Yes. <laughs> it's just a pen. It's Percy just Jackson a, brought to you by Bic. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank God they're so far. I didn't notice any Spawn Con in the episode no. so far, which is like, you're Disney. You don't have to do it. So you're I'm glad right. there hasn't been anything yet. And yeah, there wasn't like a shiny Bic like logo. <laughs> but I love that it's just a dinky little pen. It yep. makes it believable. It makes Percy not think it's strange. Like it's not this fancy bronze pen like it was in the Lightning Thief movie. It's not a clicky pen, which never made any sense for something that turns into a sword. <laughs> so I think that's really good. I like that it's just a silly little pen. Innocuous. Yes, exactly, exactly. Now, here's something that I also think is great. When we cut to Percy and Grover eating lunch outside the Met, Ugh. they open up their sandwiches and trade meat for cheese. Ugh. And it it's just, just that that's the, the cutest thing ever. That's the friendship stuff that is just so good and so smart. Cause like I had friends in middle school that I used to do that with. It was like my mom would never get me through roll-ups and stuff because right. those were deemed too unhealthy. Yet she would give me butterscotch crimpets, which is just like <laughs> cake. But that was deemed okay because it wasn't gummy sugar leather. And then I would trade my crimpets for someone who had fruit roll-ups or gushers or one of those. And we do that every day. Like Yeah. So to have those things where they they don't talk about it yes, at all, they just, just sit totally, down. They just do not, it out of habit. It's oh, so good. It's so cute. And well, I don't know if it was intentional, but is it a thing where like Grover is trying to be vegetarian because he's a goat and he's trading away his meat and getting cheese in return? Huh? huh? Like was that an intentional pull? Because it looked like I, I could I could zoom in on the tapes. <laughs> But it felt like roll it back. <laughs> it felt roll like back the tape. it yeah. felt like Percy gave him cheese and Grover gave him some yeah. sort of meat. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. It's so just, considerate. It's just that is like those little things just show that they're perfect friends, and I just love whoever made that decision. It's so great. So it's good. so great. I also love that Yancey Academy canonically has a counselor because yeah. when Percy talks about the bullying, Grover's like, oh, you could talk to Miss So-and-so. It's yeah. like, good. Glad the school good, has good someone. Good update. Good mm-hmm. update. Mm-hmm. Really nice. And then you do get a really funny line from Grover when they're talking about bullies. Percy mentions he wants to chuck Nancy into a dumpster. And Grover <laughs> says, if there's one thing I know about bullies, never stand up to them. Right. <laughs> It's really good. He's so good. He's so, so good. good. So good. So then we have the classic scene of Nancy falling into the fountain. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the book, wasn't it more of like the water came out of the fountain and then kind of like grabbed her pulled and her pulled in. her in? Yes. I feel like that makes more sense in terms of the water powers of Percy Jackson being the son of Poseidon. Yeah. But in the TV show, from A, a perspective of using less CGI, and then B, trying to have a little more of the intrigue of like, oh, what are his powers? Sure. I feel like this makes more sense in that regard, but like it is strange that he kind of like fusrodod her into the fountain, even though he doesn't have wind powers, he has water powers, but I guess the water is like close enough. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I it's felt conflicted. hard to say. Yeah. I feel like, you know, if you don't know, you probably just sort of gloss over it and you're like, mm-hmm. kid powers, kids got powers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's good for someone who doesn't know, because when I was reading the book, I didn't know. I mm-hmm gathered what I thought it was just because I knew trident iconography was part of the thing. (laughs) But once the water yanks, it's like, okay, son of Poseidon, like, gotta be. Right. Whereas this does leave it more open-ended, which is fun. Yeah. But, you know, now I'm debating, like, the validity of the mechanics of magical Greek powers so we can (laughs) just move on. I think it makes sense. Like we said, very nitpicky. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's so good. What also is so good? The fight with Dodds. 
was just oh, incredible. It just like she looked perfect. She mm-hmm. looked perfect mm-hmm. before she was. Which one is she? Electo, right? Oh, I think she's Electo. I don't. She's remember. Electo. She's one of the Furies. Okay. Pretty sure she's Electo. Don't email me if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost. I. She's Electo. I feel confident. Final answer, Regis Philbin. But when she's just teacher, she did look great as like teacher. You would hate the hair, Ugh. the pantsuit, whatever situation. Great. Yeah. But then the transformation is good. And a little detail I love is that she is talking to Percy non-verbally, which is so scary. Like just in the head. It's good for Percy being scared. It's good for kids not knowing because no one sees what's happening. She kind of like moves her jacket and you can kind of see a little bit of bat wing at one frame of it before she becomes full fury mode. Yeah. And it was great. It was it was, it was so great. Good. And, it was terrifying. Oh yeah. But yeah. like the right amount where like you see it's scary, but it's not like actively scary for like a child watching this TV right. show. You do, they don't make you believe anything bad is about to happen right. to Percy. Mm-hmm. But it is cool that instead of like shuffling this scene off into a corner and mm-hmm. being like they're doing this and nobody else sees this happen. Yeah. Having it happen like fully out in the open. Mm-hmm. It's intriguing. It brings up so many more questions. Right. And it lets you, like, bring that to the forefront of, like, what is shielding these people from knowing what is happening right in front of them. Right. And I think the answer, and I think this is such a smart choice for the TV show, is they've just taken the missed effectiveness dial and just ramped it up. Oh, yeah. Which is just smart. And it lets you do a lot of good things in many different ways, Grover doesn't have to do the fake feet crutches thing, which is good. Which is great. That's really nice. They're just like, oh, yeah, the mist. People can't see my legs. And he's like wearing shorts. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like <laughs> the mist is good. Same thing with this. We can just say the mist is good because in the books, they like go down a hallway in the Met and like how yeah. do those people not see it? And I remember that scene being so much longer in the books, the whole Dodds fight with the pen and the Brunner pen thing. Like there's so much more going on there. I think this was very effective for the TV show to make it quick and confusing. And you don't even really know what happens unless you like have read the books. But I feel like it was very effective with just like how quick it was. He defeats her almost by accident, which makes sense for someone who would have no idea what's going on. Yeah. So I think it was really effectively done. And my only regret is that we don't get as much Megan Mullally. Exactly. <laughs> like She's got the best. And I'm like, oh no, Megan. Yeah. But she'll <laughs> come, come back. back. She yeah. will come back. Because I'm pretty sure Electo comes into play yeah. when they're down in the underworld. And then she comes back in later books. So I think she will be, back, be back, which is good. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's the only downside is like, no, I want more Megan Mullally. <laughs> yeah. You don't get her if she's not coming back. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think that was very, very good. What's also really nice, right after the scene, you do get to see pigeons. There are pigeons. Pigeons outside the mat. Mike Pigeon yelled Ugh. pigeons. It's <laughs> <laughs> like full uh, yelling I was pigeons. <laughs> so happy. I am so happy. Because those were pi- those were pigeons. Those, those were, were pigeons. pigeons. Those were not those CGI were real pigeons. pigeons. I love that there were pigeons there. Pigeon handler, come on. The pod. <laughs> come on the pod. I mean, I mean, I mean. Yeah. Now at that moment, though, you have Grover and Mr. Brunner and Percy talking about what happened, and they just have to lie to his face. And I like that Grover looks sad about it, and Chiron looks completely unfazed. Yep. <laughs> it's so on track for <laughs> their two character. characters. It's really, really good. And I think that this is something that I understand why it can't be in the show 
but it's something I loved in the books is like the slower burn of the Mr. Brunner relationship, how Grover and Chiron fit together, how they reveal to Percy that they know some more things. Percy in the books overhears them having a conversation yeah. that clues him in a little bit. These are all things that I think are really nice in the book, but it's just like, you can't. It's a TV show. You just can't yeah. do it. Like, yeah, it is missing a little bit of the, you know, they with some dialogue, they did try to like find a relationship there, but it's mm -hmm. definitely not as strong as no. it is at the beginning of the books. Right. But they have so much time to get there. Right. And I yeah. think they'll do a better job of it. it. I'm a little worried because the movie did a terrible job of this story. Like there was no terrible. chemistry between Percy and Chiron. Quite awful. So when he starts telling him about what's happening, it just doesn't feel nice. Whereas the book does a very effective job of you already like Mr. Brunner a lot before we get to camp. So when you find out that Mr. Brunner is Chiron and he's kind of like Percy's main point of contact at the camp, you as the reader feel more comfortable. Right. Because you're like, I like this guy. I'm glad he's here, too. Yeah. So hopefully they establish that. I think they will, especially because the end of the episode is Chiron as horse Chiron saying like, yeah, we've been expecting you. I think they'll do a better job of it. And I hope that just like the beginning of episode two is like, Percy, I'm really sorry. We had to lie to you. Like, yeah. <laughs> Grover does a good job of kind of undoing the quote unquote harm to the friendship, like yes. immediately melting it away in the car ride slash at the cabin. Yeah. And I'm thinking that Chiron will do the same. I feel like they're going to do a good job of it. Yeah, I have, I have faith. But I think that's just a nature of adaptation that, like, this has yeah. to suffer. You just can't. Now, something that they did change, but again, I think this does make sense, and I saw where they were going with this, was that Grover, when they're in the meeting with the principal, who is great, he's a great thing where he, like, turns the page to say, like, all you said is, turn page, I didn't touch Nancy. <laughs> oh, great delivery by that guy. Love that a good great. little character actor. But... Grover has to basically throw Percy under the bus. And at first, Grover is like telling the truth in a way that isn't a lie, where he's like, Percy is not being faithful about what happened. And it's right. like, you know, it's like, oh, okay, you're like making him look bad, but you aren't lying. And then he does just like lie. Yeah. <laughs> or, so it gives you a minute where you're like, wait, is he gonna mm -hmm. is he gonna throw Percy under the bus? What is going on? Uh -huh. And Grover does look very conflicted about it. He's yes. got tears in his He's eyes. He's upset. He's very upset about this. So it's something that is definitely a deviation from the book, but I think it does make sense. Like, we have to move it along. Yeah. We have to get Percy kicked out so that we can move things. And then as it gets later justified, Grover says, we had to kick you out of school, which I get it. What you learn is like, oh, Grover recognized that people were going to start attacking Percy. He has to get to camp. How do we get to camp? We get him expelled. I think right. that's a good change. Like, it's something yeah. that I could very much, like, see the meeting of whoever is writing the screenplay going up to Rick and saying, like, what if we did this? And Rick being like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the credits, Rick was credited mm -hmm. as one of the, the writers, one of the screenplay writers. Yes. And, like, it feels that way because you're like, okay, there's a real understanding here of like what is so integral that you cannot change it mm -hmm. and what can what can kind of go. Yes. Now, something that at first seems like something that isn't as important, but it does come into play. Percy's red jacket, which I completely forgot about until yes. I was at Comic-Con and Phoebe from Monster Donut in some of the clips that we saw, saw that Percy was wearing the red jacket. She's like, why did they keep the red jacket? Like, that's such a minor little detail that you wouldn't think they would keep. But it does become much more important in the episode. But yeah, yeah. that's the red jacket that in the book is just so he can make a Toro joke. And then now <laughs> it has like a Toro important moment. Right. <laughs> 
So he's got his red jacket and then he is getting kicked out of school. He goes home and then they're going to go up to Montauk. Here's my other New York, very tiny little thing. The street sign was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And again, Mike said that out loud, with just like the biggest sigh. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't actually upset. What it more was, was when I learned that they were filming in Vancouver, I was upset because I was like, I know what's going to happen. Yeah. Every time they do New York, my brain is just going to be like, that's not correct. And I like <laughs> won't be able to get my brain to stop. And it was just. The they, sigh was it yourself. It was. It's yes. The it is. It was, I can't turn word. off my brain for doing this. The font was too small. The 104 wasn't didn't take up enough of the mm. rectangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. right. Like I've got to. I, 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 I won't ever find myself on 104th Street because that is way too far north. <laughs> If I'm going that north, I might as well just be going to a Yankee game. But if I ever find myself on East 104th, I will take a picture of it and then I'll get a screenshot of the TV show and I'll put them side by side and I'll be like, (laughs) as a professional podcaster, I've been well actually for seven years of my life. Let me have it. (laughs) They go into the building. Ed the Super. Love Ed the Super being there. He comes out. He's good. I like this also just fits with my personal history. I know everybody has different histories in New York with the super relationship, the landlord relationship, how the dynamic works. It depends on the building and everything. Mm. But where I lived when I was in Midtown, I had bad landlord because it was like a business conglomerate, like so hard to get a hold of them. They had emails they never replied to, phone numbers where they wouldn't pick up the call, like awful. But our super was super chill. Uh, Not, didn't even mean to do it. Super super chill. chill. So I like that Eddie is that kind of super (laughs) where he comes out and then Percy says, hey, and then he's about to go in and then he says something like, oh, I'm going out and you're going in. I should say sorry (laughs) to you. It's just I like Percy and Ed being friends. Yeah. And we don't have to live in the world. We'll have to see if it comes up later, but I doubt it. We don't have to live in the world where Ed is one of Gabe's poker poker friends. friends. Which I think we've gotten rid of that world because he apparently plays online poker now. Yes. And that's great. It's good. It's a good, <laughs> it's a good change. Update. It it's is a good, a good update. update. It's a good change. And then, yeah, that was the thing. It's like Ed is nice, but then he is still one of the poker guys. So I felt conflicted about Ed. But now we can just like Ed the super. And yeah. I like it. I really like it. <laughs> so then they go into the apartment. And this is where I saw the Zach Wilson jersey. So now we know that this is taking place place and at least yeah it's at least like the past two years so then the whole and i I, like this is true to form at new york comic-con a lot of the people on the production team talked about the things they were looking forward to the most and multiple people were like the guy who plays smelly game is so funny he's so funny and you know what he really was i'm i oh my god Uh, the guy from the movies mm -hmm. oh yeah is like I think it's Joe Pantaleon or I just always call him Cypher from the Matrix exactly but yeah, yeah. he's so grimy he's but so grimy in, a good, in like in the, the perfect way yes this guy is not giving the same grime energy mm-hmm. I mean he's so funny that I almost like him yeah he <laughs> and I don't know how I feel about that necessarily <laughs> yeah he sucks but in a different way yeah and it does make me wonder if they are going to change, and I bet they will, I wonder what's going to happen with Smelly Gabe being turned into stone at the end with the Medusa head. Right. It feels like, and they got rid of this in the movie, which I was sad about because, like, I get it. In the kids' program, you can't necessarily have the mom that we like commit a murder. <laughs> 
And that's something, even when I made the episodes, I like yeah. loved it. Like I read the book, I was like, hell yeah, Sally, About murder it. 100%. him. hundred percent. And the people were like, she commits a murder. Like how can, how are people okay with it? Cause it's a fiction book about pretend people. Nobody yeah. actually died. It's not like when you watch John Wick, you're not like, oh, those people had families. Like, no, they're the bad guys. So kill them, John Wick. Kill them with a horse. Yes. Like, like when I read the book, I was like, yeah, he sucked. Yeah. I'm glad he's dead. Like, but I understand why they can't necessarily yeah. do it. Because he sucks in this different way, I feel like Sally's not going to murder him. And right. we get like we get the vibe that he stinks. Oh, smell it. Un- God, yeah. I'm just, my brain it's just, just firing. firing him. All cylinders. Yeah, I mean, he's... We get the vibe that he stinks, but he doesn't stink in the same gross, like, kind of abusive way that we see in the book and in the first movie adaptation. Yeah, and it's because Percy is really giving us the vibes. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Percy is out there being like, walking into these, this apartment and immediately being like, Dude, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it's a good, like, I think it's fine that, because not every New Yorker has, like, a stereotypical New York accent. They are making Percy a New Yorker in certain ways, and him having this interaction with Gabe <laughs> is exactly that. It's so good. Uh, so it's just so funny. The online poker is great. The slippers are great. The big TV, him sitting so close to the TV is yes. great. Like, it's yes. all so fantastic. I would have watched a whole episode of Percy and Gabe just (laughs) hating each other. Uh, It's so funny. It's just really, really good. And then we have Percy asking where Sally, and then we see that she is sitting on the balcony, which I was terrified was the fire escape, but it's not the fire escape. Because there was furniture out there, and you can't put furniture on the fire escape. You're going to get a violation. Exactly. No, No plants. No Mm-mm. furniture, you none do, of that. No, you can't do anything. You're not allowed to. That's for get... escaping from a fire. Yes, you'll get in trouble. <laughs> it's it's a that legit, the most literal fire hazard you could think of. <laughs> furniture on a fire escape. But it's just a balcony, thank goodness. But Sally is just sitting in the rain, I guess because she likes Poseidon. Like, is that? Yeah. It was a, that was the, like a little. Sadly getting drenched with rain. Yeah. It was. Vaguely uncomfortable. <laughs> right. I will say, of all of the stuff, if, if like all the other grapes, I'm like, whatever. This is the one thing in the episode where I was like, that was kind of weird. Like, <laughs> yeah. A little weird. Yeah. Or, like, I get that she likes Poseidon, but like, she's just sitting in the rain. <laughs> and she looked like a little too happy. Like, she was a little like, <laughs> was like, hmm? Well, you know, a little like, hmm? <laughs> all right. Uh... But she comes in, she gives Percy. A gift of blue candy, which is fantastic. She does call Mr. Bruner, Mr. Bruner. And this happened in the movie. What are we What are we doing? It's spelled B-R-U-N-N-E-R. Yeah. Am I losing my mind? No. You okay. (laughs) What is why is this the note? How do people keep thinking it's Bruner? I mean, at this point. I gotta think maybe Rick is, thinks it's I, Bruner. And we love Rick, but <laughs> as he has admitted, he does pronounce his own last name wrong. So, like, <laughs> maybe he was like, yeah, guys, two ends, but it's Bruner. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's definitely Brunner. Yeah. It's definitely Brunner. Right. Gosh. Anyway, this is <laughs> says, says Mr. Bruner. And then Gabe comes in because Sally is saying that they're going up 
to Montauk mm-hmm. and that they have reserved the place and he doesn't want to let them go, but he like is okay with it because Sally threatens to like not bring him a food sandwich. and is going to listen to the game <laughs> in the Jesus car like, on the either way. either I bring you a sandwich or I eat your sandwich. Make uh-huh. a choice. <laughs> and look, as a food motivated person, like, yeah, you know. There's a sandwich at the end of this, at the end of this rainbow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he, he does it for the sandwich. He does make a reference to the New York Knickerbockers, my beloved basketball team. He does. Because he says that he doesn't want to watch the game alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would hope because Percy doesn't say it and Sally doesn't say it. But at least Sally is saying that she would. She was like, I'll listen to the game without you and eat your sandwich. So we assume. So we are establishing that Sally Jackson is a Knicks fan. Yes. So we would think that Percy Jackson is going to be a Knicks fan. Clearly. I would hope that Percy doesn't hate Gabe so much that he like is a Nets fan to like. But if his mom, if Sally, who Sally seems like a true Knicks fan. So it (laughs) feels like Percy's a Knicks fan too. And I'm just going to live in that truth. Yeah. So I, I, I fully support. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now I will be recording the rest of this episode with literally a Knicks hat on. Oh to my really gosh. Put it into existence. That's the perks this of recording this actually... in my closet. Yeah. This time <laughs> it's actually the real hat. <laughs> the top hat before was a line. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> You're letting all the podcast secrets. <laughs> podcast secrets out. But yeah, Percy Jackson's a Knicks fan. Yes. <laughs> This makes me this makes me really happy because my sports fandom, I'm a Knicks fan, I'm a Yankees fan, and if I had to pick a football team, but I don't like the NFL, if I had to pick a football team, mm-hmm. I would be the Jets fan. Mm-hmm. So there was a Jets jersey. We know canonically that the invisibility hat for Annabeth is a Yankee hat. And then Percy's yes. a Knicks fan. I feel so seen. I just feel so <laughs> seen. It would be absolutely wild if at some point they watch a WNBA game and Percy's like, Yeah, my favorite team's the Seattle Storm. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> mine because I live there and like he wouldn't be a New York Liberty fan. But like to get three for three for me, I just I want to thank the folks at Disney. I want to thank Rick Riordan. I want to thank the production team. <laughs> so uh, it just made me really, really happy. I forget there was some line. There, I, I can't even remember it because I was just enjoying the show. I wasn't writing down exact lines. Whatever lines Gabe was saying, they were all good. They were yeah. all so funny. I'm, I, I'm going to bring one up for. for oh, I have the, the line. I have yeah. the line. Well, first off, Gabe's New York accent is very fun. It's really good. It is. But then the line that he said that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> really good is when he does finally agree to let them use the car he tells Percy take your shoes off before you get in yeah. the car and Percy, and Percy gives him just like what are you talking about man it's uh, so, so good it's so good it's so good and I'm a big I'm a big take your shoes off when you get in my apartment person yes I'm me too so thank you yeah that's the only correct answer it's only the, the city out there the ground disgusting it's, don't just, bring that into my house when people very rarely does this happen when, but whenever I get pushback on that it's like what are you talking about yeah it'd be like oh you just trek all that around well, like, from you, the New York you, City streets you, right. into your home you were outside <laughs> And now I'm inside. That's, those are do two you, different places. Do you want me to vacuum after you leave? What are you talking about? <laughs> Take your shoes off. I remember this was years ago, but it was in one of my old apartments before I lived in New York. I asked someone to kick their shoes off and they're like, what is this, an Asian household? And I was like, the, I didn't. It was so normal to me to take your shoes off that I was like, I genuinely was like, "What are you talking about?" And he was like, "Oh, it's like a stereotype where like Asian people have to take off shoes." And I was like, "I was like, wait a second, you don't just do this, like." <laughs> I just like blew past the shirts. I'd be like, "What do you mean? There's people out there that don't take their shoes off." Also, let's talk about this veiled racism. But. Exactly. <laughs> you're like, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said. Right. But, but the also- main point is take your shoes off because you're in my home. Yeah. <laughs> 
But that's just, oh, it's such a funny line. So then they're making their way up to Montauk. Percy has like a dream sequence where someone, an yeah. unknown person with like a, a light, of of I don't know if it's they're on a like boat because it's a staff or a thing uh-huh. they're wearing it, or a thing that it, uh, like it, it feels like if I had to guess because Percy's just like on the beach looking at the water getting rained on a lot and I was like man it just runs in the family but it's <laughs> <laughs> getting rained on and there's like someone who appears to be like in a boat and in a deep kind of foreboding right. voice is says something like oh little hero run away like it's kind of warning me so it doesn't make me think it's Kronos but I was like is it Charon because of like the boat sure. Like, I don't know. Is it just supposed to be like a creepy thing and it's nothing? But this was, and I think this is good. Like, it's a little something for people who are super fans to be like, well, what was that? Like, it's, yeah. it's still fun. It's like, I have no idea. What was that? Yeah. You have to, in a series like this, I think, give a little bit of the main villain, maybe, or like what you're going to encounter later mm-hmm. as the main antagonist to this person that you're becoming attached to mm-hmm. in the first episode, especially if you're trying to hook people who've never read the book. So you think, do you think it's Kronos? I think it's Kronos. Ooh. Yeah. But he warns him, but I guess it, it, it does it feel like, like a foreboding. Run away, run away. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, that could be it. That's that's interesting. Yeah. I would also, I didn't watch this with subtitles, but I might have to go back and see if they do a thing where it's like, I, my guess is it would just say like voice in bracket. It right. wouldn't be like Kronos, Kronos. the villain. <laughs> <laughs> that's like full character yeah. description. <laughs> Kronos, you'll meet him later. Uh, but. I, yeah, I think that does make sense. At the very least, it establishes something that will become a motif later, which is Percy learns things through dreams. Exactly. People talk to Percy through dreams. So at the very least, it lays the groundwork for that, which I think is very effective. But he wakes up from the stream and he's in the car and they are on their way to Montauk with Sally and they get to the cabin and it's very cute. And the cute thing that they do, Percy does a thing that I have been doing ever since I was about five years old. The tap someone on the shoulder that is farther away from you thing to make them turn their head the wrong direction. My dad used to do this to me a bunch and then I would do it to him and fail all the time. Like my success rate on tricking him (laughs) has got to be like 0.01%. But like the one time it hits, I feel so good. I love this. I do it to Kelly a bunch. So Percy doing this with Sally, it just establishes like, yeah, they're friends. Yeah. They like each other. And it's an important dynamic. What you have to realize is like Sally is young. Like she yeah. was, wasn't she like only in her 20s or 20s? She was very young when she very had young. Percy because I think she gets established. I haven't read Heroes of Olympus yet, but I think she gets established as like being 40 in one of those books. So she would have been like 20 or early 20s when she had Percy. So she's like mid 30s, early yeah. 30s now. So like they're close enough in age, as Kelly said when we were watching this, it is the Lorelai Gilmore effect right. where <laughs> Lorelai and Rory are very close in age. So they're more like friends. You know, I have some friends who are only like 20 years older than me. So like I get it. So right. I like them just kind of being chums. It's fun. Yeah. So now at the cabin, they start talking and Percy is saying how he's different and he's scared. And because he starts to broach this subject, Sally just kind of rips the bandaid off and was like, hey, yeah. I've been telling you all those stories, which is a fun change. Like, that's a change. Oh, this is a pretty substantial change. Right. Because it's never been a thing where it's like, oh, I told you stories. But I think. It's a change that I like. This is one of those changes where I wonder if Rick was like, ah, if I could do it over again, I would do this. Because what you have in the book is Percy doesn't 
know a lot of Greek stuff from his mother or his childhood or whatever, but then he's just like really good at remembering things sometimes because he liked Mr. Brunner as a teacher, I guess, question mark. Right. So for Percy to have the thing where like, oh yeah, I remember this. Oh yeah, I remember this. It tracks more if it's a thing where like his mom has been telling him stories his whole childhood. That makes more sense to me. So I think this is a change that makes sense. And then Sally is just like really getting in with like, hey, they're real. Like it felt like kind of quick, but I guess she's stressed too. And it kind of has to be Mm -hmm. in this TV show. I think you have to be like, this is what Percy is. These are what half-bloods are in the first episode. I think you have to do it. You got to hit it quick. Yeah. So she starts explaining those things. And one of the things she says is, do you know why we come up to this cabin? And then Percy goes, it's near the septic tank, so it's cheap. So good. So good. Uh, so funny. The line delivery. Cut the tension. Uh, yeah. His line delivery is so great. Because like Percy in this episode is being funny. He isn't telling any jokes yet. So I yeah. think we will get like cracking jokes, Percy, at some point. Yeah. But Walker Scoble, he does have great comedic chops. Like he just yeah. knows the way to deliver a line. Like Percy's being funny, but like not him, the character being funny. It's like yeah. he's being funny in the TV show. He isn't like making a fun joke. But I think it's going to be really good. And like he's yeah. he's really got a, a a good way to deliver these lines. But I'm glad that that was mentioned because when they were in the cabin, I was like, this cabin's a little too nice. Like yeah. that fire pit <laughs> thing. I was like, this is nice. This and it's like really, pretty big. Yeah, exactly. So then to lay the groundwork of like, it smells bad. I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Because this is like kind of a nice cabin. She's starting to explain like, this is where I met your father and your father. I like that she didn't describe it well. Like, I think it was believable that she had a hard time and she was like kind of repeating herself and was like stumbling over her words. It felt very believable. But she basically gets out like, your father, he wasn't a man. And then I said, he was a rock lobster. (laughs) (laughs) Which I guess if I'm sticking with my real joke that I was doing the podcast, I should have said he was a man lobster because it's, well, it wasn't a rock. rock. It wasn't a man. It was a man lobster. I'll have to get Fred Schneider on the pot at one point. But (laughs) she says this. She says it wasn't a man. He was a god. And then Percy goes, a god? Like Jesus? Jesus. So good. So good. So good. Really hope nobody gets mad. Like, I hope I would just pray that no one's like, oh, is Percy Jackson canonically Christian? Like, stop. It's a TV show. I hope that doesn't become a thing. It's just a funny joke. But the whole stories thing is a cool change. And something that I think is interesting, I guess it will get brought up later. But Percy keeps talking about being different and, you know, he doesn't want to believe these things. He never in this episode explicitly says that he's ADHD. Or dyslexia. No. And we don't see, like, we see when he looks at the paper that it, like, kind of looks fuzzy. Yeah. But we don't get, like, something that's, like, painfully obvious, like, the letters moving around and stuff. And he is talking about, like, having, like, focus issues and things like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll come once he gets to Camp Half-Blood and they're, like, really breaking it down for him. Uh Maybe... It'll come from either one of his other campers, like maybe Annabeth will tell him or something like that. And I hope for the purposes of representation, just because by doing this podcast and talking with a lot of people who have read these books, there's so many people who love that the books explicitly say that he has ADHD and dyslexia. There's so many people that are like, I love that they were super clear about it. And I hope that when they get to camp, it's not just vague sort of like you know how you have a hard time focusing Percy or like you know how sometimes it's hard to read things like I hope that they just straight up say 
ADHD dyslexia. Because I, I just from, I, I'm not affected by those, but so many listeners tell me like, I love that this yeah. was an explicit thing. So I hope that they don't shy away from that. Yeah. And I feel like Rick, it's such an I, important thing to Rick that I don't think he would let them not do it. Yeah, I feel the same. He was so intentional about it with the books that it feels like it has to be intentional with the TV show as well. And they're set, they've already set it up. Right. So it feels like we'll get there. I think think they will. I have hope that they will. If they are just vague about it, though, I will be a little disappointed. Yeah. So I don't know. So then Grover shows up and he continues to be so fantastic because he says, this is a little time sensitive. Could you maybe open the door? (laughs) (laughs) He's so good. He's so Uh good. He absolutely like we were having this like kind of heart wrenching scene where mom (laughs) was like pouring out all of these things to Percy and Percy's all confused. And he Grover showed up and just stole the entire Uh scene. I was like, what even was happening before? I don't Mm -hmm. know. This guy's great. (laughs) And it's just the perfect thing because this is what happens in the books. Like in the books, you have like serious, serious, serious. Something funny has broken the tension. And and they've got that in this episode Uh as well. It's so funny. And Having watched the movie where the vibe of Grover was just so off yeah, and so wrong and like still fine, like as a comedic relief character, like sure, sure. but it's just sad because it's just, I know what Grover should be yeah. and this is just not Grover. This is just someone else. To have a Grover that's actually Grover oh. just makes this feel so much more, like I just feel like I'm being hugged. Like he's just yeah. so wonderful. He's so good. So pleasant. So the whole scene is fantastic. There was clearly some sort of communication between Grover and Sally where Sally was supposed to have explained a whole lot. So Grover starts like spilling the beans of things that has not been told to Percy. And he keeps being like, you haven't told him this yet. Like, it's so good. Like establishing that Sally and Grover have a friendship, too. It's so yeah, good. It's so funny, too, because it like mirrors like we're getting towards the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So like we got to get this information yeah, uh-huh. out. And he's like, we're getting near the time when we got to get this information out. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a funny it's mirror. It's really good. So then they get into the car because they are going to camp. And that's another thing that Sally hasn't told him about yet. And here's something that I did see. This was, of all the clips that I did get to see at New York Comic Con, the thing that made me the most happy was we did get to see the thing where the Minotaur, the beginning of the fight scene. And it starts with them being in the car. And Grover is in the back left seat of the car, not the back middle seat, which is the thing that bugs me about movies and TV shows so much. (laughs) When there's three people in a car and Mm -hmm. someone sits in the back middle seat just because then for framing purposes with the camera being right in the middle of the dashboard, you can see all three faces. No one does that. Nobody does that. if, if 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 someone did that to me, like, if I was driving in the front seat was taken and then one of my friends sat in the middle seat, I'd be like, get out of the car. Like you, There's <laughs> no way. That is psychopath. Uh, serial killer behavior. <laughs> yes. That is. <laughs> oh, my God. Just deranged choice. So him sitting in the back of the seat is correct. Like, it made sense. I loved it. It was shot well. Like, it yeah. felt the shaky cam of it, like, did feel believable. Like, it felt like yeah. I was in a car. It didn't look like bad CGI car stuff. Yeah. The, it did seem like a lot of rain. <laughs> so was, shout out to was Sally. It was a rain. lot of rain. Yeah. But I love that that was there. Then we get the explanation where Grover says, I had to get you kicked out. I think that's a good change for a lot of different reasons. This is the point where I realized, oh, right, Grover doesn't have the crutches. This is nice. Like, there was a lot of good things happening in my realization brain at this point. Right. And then you do have Sally doing a cool thing where the Minotaur shows up like right next to him. And she just kind of very Fast and Furious. I've been watching all the Fast and Furious movies for the first time for a podcast project I'm working on. And it zoomed in on her like doing the clutch. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. 
<laughs> so Vin Diesel, clunk, clunk, and then she drives into the Minotaur, and it's hilarious because she does it, and then the Minotaur just like rams her back and yeah. wrecks the car. Like, yeah, ultimate. that thing is huge. <laughs> it was like a badass move that she did, and then it was just like, oh no, you yeah, messed around and sorry. found out. Oh no. <laughs> So then the car is wrecked, but then Percy kind of kicks the windshield out. And I thought this, and then Kelly verbalized it, and I'm glad she did. It was a bit confusing to understand the layout of the wreckage because it did look like Percy was in a spaceship. <laughs> yeah, what Kelly said specifically was, I'm trying to figure out what the anatomy of a car is. <laughs> <laughs> yep, because she said it looked like Luke in whatever Star Wars movie where he crashes on whatever planet. Mm-hmm. Don't, like, I it's, haven't seen it's it. It's okay, Mike. I'll, it's I'll okay. watch them at it's some okay. point. <laughs> not going to make a podcast about it because I do not need to deal with all of that. But, but. no. I yeah. felt similarly where I was like, huh? Because it was like the, I, I don't know, if it, was it the back windshield? Because there were the red lights. Yes. So it was the back windshield. It's an older car, so they're kind of like funkily shaped with the windows and all. But there was a little bit where I was like, what's going on with this? this is, I know my I know this is the car, but it right. looks strange. Weird, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but kicks his way out. And then Grover points out where camp is and you get to see the pine tree, like the singular pine yeah. tree at the top, which is cool. And I really like what this means because what was annoying with the movie is that it's just like, it's just like there is the tree, but it just kind of looks like all the other They're trees. They're just like in, deep in forest. Right. Yeah. But then this is, there are other trees. And then there's a tree that is like too big and does not make sense, which yeah. for the story of Thalia <laughs> getting there and then Zeus turning her into a tree, like that makes sense. Right. That would be a different tree that doesn't fit with the rest of the foliage. So that was cool. And that's another point at screen moment for the fans where mm-hmm. someone watching doesn't distract or it's not confusing. So that was cool. And then Sally goes into amazing Sally mode where she just yes. starts saying really sweet things to Percy. She says, you are not broken. You are singular. You oh. are a miracle and you are my son. Hold fast. Brave the storm. I love you. Then after I pick myself up from yeah. the puddle on the floor, I realized that she asked for the coat from Percy, the red coat. So she, Sally, is doing the Toro Toro move, Yes. Which I found confusing at first, but then it made sense given the way that they did the fight scene. And I like the ways that they are doing the fight scenes because you'll see this in some movies of coming-of-age hero things or superhero stuff, and even in the Percy Jackson book a little bit. You get the thing where it's like the person who has no idea what's going on is a little too good at fighting (laughs) right away. And I think by having Sally do the bull Toro thing, she says something like, oh, this is on your scent. But then she does the thing, which is great because it's a bull. But then when you have Percy actually fighting the Minotaur with Riptide, it looked cool. I don't know how he knew to uncap the pen. That was the only thing where I was like, Here's the thing is he doesn't use Riptide in Uh, the book. Oh, right. Yeah, so that was interesting to me. Is like immediately I was like, oh, we're just, we're using Riptide in this fight. That makes sense in the world of like establishing. He uses Riptide against Dodds, but he does not use Riptide against the Minotaur, correct? Because he gives the pen back to Chiron. Right. So he doesn't have Riptide. Mm -hmm. But it makes more sense, because like, in the book, 12-year-old Percy Jackson just, like, flips on top of the uh-huh, Minotaur and uh, then, like, rips the horn off right. with, like, no further assistance, mm-hmm, you know? Yeah. Which, like, is really cool in the book. Mm-hmm. But, like, it makes a lot more sense when you're, like, watching this 12-year-old child yeah. that, like, he hits the horn first and mm-hmm. that gives him help. Yes. And, you know. It made that, the whole fight team made so much more sense that I really, really, really liked it. So, yeah, you've got 
Sally doing the coat thing and then the Minotaur kind of grabs and she fades away. The fade away thing is good. I think it does look a little too much like something happened, not she died, which is good. Sure. Especially, I think, for kids watching the show. One thing that I did find kind of funny is when Percy, because he and Groover had gone farther up the way towards camp, when he screams out for his mom, he does just scream mom and he runs up to a point and then stands still and screams mom. It's like, dude, keep going. Like, yeah. <laughs> keep going. Like, I yeah. get it. It's just for the shot. Like, it's fine. But it just, you know, I was like, come on, man. But then, yeah, he, I do like, and this is another cool thing about Riptide is like, he fights the Minotaur. The Minotaur is far enough away where like, they could just turn around and run, but he's yeah. angry. I like it. Like, he's yeah. mad about it and he loves his mom. So he's like, no, I'm going to beat this guy up just because he did something to my mom. Yeah. Which is good, like, establishing of the character. This is who mm-hmm. Percy is. Yeah, it's really good. So then Uncaps Riptide. I guess he just, like, figured that's what happened with Dodds. Because it wasn't, like, explained to him, like, this pen is a sword. Like, you can, you know, so, but whatever. He figured it out. And when he hit the horn, at first I was like, oh, is that how he's going to take the horn off? But then the horn didn't break off. And I was like, oh. Then he climbs on the back. And then when he rips the horn, I was like, oh. Like, it it makes way more sense. (laughs) And it's, like, really quick. (laughs) And then he just kind of climbs up, rips the horn stabs it right into his head and then goes away. It just, it made so much sense. It was really good. Yeah. It it just gives me that kind of thing is what's giving me a lot of hope for the TV show where it's like, yes, it's different than the book, but there's a reason why we did it. And it makes sense both in terms of like the episode has to be a certain length. And then also maybe Rick was like, "Eh, if I could do it again, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. And then he kind of fades out, passes out, which also happens in the book. And then when he's coming to, it's a little different because we don't get you drool when you sleep, but maybe we'll still get you drool when you sleep. Right. But we get Percy kind of coming to Annabeth. I do like that Annabeth is still the first person to speak. So that is standing yeah. there because he she says like he's waking up or something. That is the first thing she says when he kind of is awake the first time mm. is she's like, he's the one. And Chiron is like... Don't say that. Mm-hmm. I think it's Chiron or Gro- I can't remember. But what somebody is like, hey, he's like a little bit awake. So maybe don't say sure. things that are mm-hmm. ominous like that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's perfect for end of an episode of a TV show. Exactly. <laughs> so kept that in. Really good stuff. And then you have Chiron in horse form, but silhouette. So you're still kind of confused as the viewer mm-hmm. saying, welcome to camp, Percy Jackson. We've been expecting you. Oh, chills, chills. So good. And then the ending music was great. And the ending credits are fantastic. The art is wildly good. So good. Super Greeky vibes. It shows you what's going to happen over the course of the story, but doesn't really give anything away. Yeah. If you don't know what's going on, but there's little things where they had an Amtrak train and I was like, yes, uh, going on the Amtrak, baby. You know. Yeah. And they had the arch and we were like, ah, yes, good. And we're not going to Tennessee this time. (laughs) No disrespect to anyone from Tennessee, but you understand why we want them to go to St. Louis. But yeah, it was super solid. Loved the ending credits. And then I loved in the after credits where they're just going through like the names and the roles. There were two snickering kids and mm-hmm. then uh, Bubblegum Kid. <laughs> Bubblegum so, Kid. Like That's that casting. Great credit. Great really credit. good stuff. And that was the first episode. And it's really good. Oh, so good. It's really good. I'm really excited. I'm very excited for this television program. Yeah. It's going to be solid. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Any other Final thoughts before we go on to the Patreon exclusive thoughts. Or if you go to thenewsilmia.com slash Patreon, you can hear us talk about more things such as our various favorite things like favorite scene, favorite line, favorite performance, favorite deviation, and most surprising moment. But <laughs> aside from those things, which we'll talk about right after, any other parting thoughts as we 
finish this first TV show episode of The News Olympian. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is off to the races. Just mm-hmm. like immediately they hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. And the adaptation is great. Mm-hmm. And I'm just very excited to meet Annabeth. Yeah, it's going to be really <laughs> fun. I'm very excited. And I'm also just very excited from a podcast perspective to do this. This is the first time in my podcasting career where I am making episodes about something coming out in real time. I've yeah. never done that before. Like oh with the God. Harry Potter stuff, I never did that for Potter. It was because by the time I caught up to stuff, J.K. Rowling was like, what if I was publicly transphobic? So then I stopped <laughs> doing the official stuff. Right. But I Now I get to actually do things in real time. It is bizarre. It is such a weird place for me to be in my career. It's so strange. I'm in truly uncharted waters. I've never been in this situation before. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. And you get to put on your cool little press hat and Uh go depressed. Oh, it's back. (laughs) But yes, I'm very excited. I'm very excited for what lies ahead in the podcast and I'm just super stoked about all things. Sequoia, thank you so much for joining. If people want to find you doing stuff, where can they find you doing stuff? Yeah, you can find me doing my podcasts. One is called Fanatical Fiction, Where to Find Them. It's a Harry Potter fan fiction podcast where we're reading some wild fan fiction. And the other one is But Make It Scary, which Mike has been on several times. It's a good podcast. <laughs> um, where we take romance movies, we rewrite them as horror films. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we make horror films Christmas films, and sometimes we make... Christmas movies, Christmas Thanksgiving movies. movies. <laughs> yeah, right. We do all sorts of stuff uh-huh. over there. So, yeah, you can find those anywhere pods are cast. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, Sequoia, thank you for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time, when we get to meet Annabelle, until then, I'll just see you later. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The News to Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamandas and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to be a part of the show's community, you can find us on social media. We're at News Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There's also a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash the News to Olympian. And then there's also the Discord that you get access to by joining any tier of the Patreon over at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. If you want to get some TNO merch, you can go to thenewsolympian.com slash merch. And if you want to support the show, and as a thank you get access to a whole bunch of bonus content you can do that at thenewsolympia.com slash Patreon speaking of that Patreon let's give a shout out to our producer level patrons Kelsey Gillespie The Damn Steam Nuggets Vicky Garcia Ellie Hoskovchova Veronica Bartova Haley Hastings Robin Garcia Frida Vickstrom Megan Moon Craig McRoberts Taylor Payne Giselle Salvador Peter Johnson The Twins Sabrina Balsiger Bony Pony Casey Williams Polly Burge Nikki Harris Tatiana Schmidt Sandra Rose Josh Sayre Josh Wilkie Abby Ryan Wise Girl Ashton Gabrielson Marco Redhouse Caden Max Sam Sam Reby Riley Kiddas Mary Kelly Audra Mrs. O'Leary Rodith Kalna Milo Kim Harlan Christ, Cece Reads 23, Sandkoff, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Sarah Neal, Ricky, John Drielsma, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, Luna Cadoon, Sky Mallory, Elizabeth Obermiller, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson Fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, Sky Captain and the Princess, King Bastion, One Damn Distraction coming up, Ethan Robinson, Ginger Spurs Boy, Joshua Aid, A Cup of Solace, Meg Roy, Lux, Neil, Will Buchanan, Olivia Krenicki, Mrs. O'Leary's Best Doggo, and Bradimus Prime. If you want to support the show in a non-monetary way, simply talking about the show is so helpful. Word of mouth is huge, so you can tell someone that you know who loves Percy Jackson about the podcast, or you can talk to someone who's looking for an excuse to finally get into the Percy Jackson books about it, or someone who's maybe getting hyped for the TV show that's coming up and they want to understand what's going on, or you could post about the show on social media, or you could leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All these things really do help. I'm very appreciative to everyone who has already done so and to anyone who will do so in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode and I hope you tune into our next episode, which will be up later today as we cover episode two of the Percy Jackson TV show with Erica Ito. But until then, Hope we'll see you later.
For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, aka the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, everyone, how's it going? It's me, Ace Marmik. So I am recording this one late at night, trying to get the episode up now that the premiere is complete and the TV show is up. But here I am in my sister's bedroom closet, and there is a set of Mardi Gras beads on the door. So I'm just going to jingle and jingle those around for this episode's ASMR mic segment. Thank you for listening. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.